Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we're your co-hosts. So today, uh, I'm really leaning into the and more section of our intro, and I'm kind of talking about the moon. This one really kind of went off the rails, but I have some points. We'll get into it. (laughs) I love it. I mean, look, that happens sometimes. Like, we start researching and we're like, I thought this topic was going to be this thing. And it turns out, no, Mm -hmm. not at all. Um, Well, I'm talking about, I think, our first Hawaiian goddess, Hina. And I am just going to apologize in advance for the ways that I will inevitably butcher the Hawaiian names. Doing my best. Um, So she's a moon goddess, of course. And then I'm also going to cover California Poppy, which I'm stoked about. We'll get into why, but yay poppies. I do I do love all the poppies in California. Yeah, the the like super bloom is epic. I wish that fucking Instagram influencers wouldn't smash all the flowers trying to get their perfect photo. Like, disappointing. But, you know, they're pretty, I guess. So what you going to do? But Nick. When did you feel the magic this week? Oh, well, I can absolutely tell you there was a couple times where the magic was coming in very strongly this week. And um, one of those times I was doing the research, and I do talk about this in my segment about Agla Onasi, and she's a bad bitch, but also, like, I'm pretty sure I was visited by her ghost. Ooh, and okay. y'all And y'all know I'm such a skeptical witch, so for me to say that, some shit was going down. Some shit was absolutely going down. Um, You were yelling timber. Yeah. So also, though, um, I did have a very nice time. Again, I'm going to talk about this in my actual segment, too, because it's a witchcraft podcast. So if we're talking about magic, it's just going to happen. But um, I did, um, and I'm going to bring my glass into frame here. Um, I made a little moon rosé the other night. Okay. That's and, where it's at. And my, because I'm very Dionysian in my personal practice. And of course I made mood wine. And um, yes, yeah, so that story is forthcoming. Love, 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 love. Well, for me, I guess it's kind of twofold. First of all, walking my dog under that full Aries moon was everything. Um, I also love that like, because we have to like walk Willow so early in the morning now, we usually go like on our walks, we start them around like 6, 6.15. So it's still dark outside for the first part of our walk. So I've also been getting some like morning moon time, which is really quite the way to jumpstart the day. But also like everyone knows I started a new job like relatively recently and I apologize I realize I'm saying like a lot I guess it's maybe recording at 8 p.m my time but I started this new job and I recently set up my calendar with all like the big planet transits so it just felt really nice to have that like in my office at work being able to look at what the stars are doing and the upcoming sabbats and stuff just because it helps me I you know we're witches who work And sometimes it's a really shit day and you want to know, is it the stars or is it capitalism? Usually the (laughs) latter. It's usually capitalism. But you know, it's, it never hurts to check. (laughs) 
Although, you know, like, I always have kind of questioned the vibe of, like, technology malfunctions during Mercury retrograde, but I have had an especially high number of technology malfunctions this last Mercury retrograde period, and wow, that was a doozy, truly. Okay, but also, like, I say this with all the love, when do you not? Um, that hurts. (laughs) The truth hurts. The truth truth is uh, stinging me right now. I'm Um, so sorry. Well, enjoy your moon wine. Sit back. We're going to talk about poppies. Okay. So I think it's fun to talk about something that's native to California. That's where I live now. But also, I totally have poppy tattoos, which people on the Patreon can see, like, as part of my half sleeve, the fill flower I got are poppies they're california poppies specifically so clearly i have a soft spot for these little ladies but today i wanted to like up top we've got to note that i am talking about a very specific kind of poppy here it's at, oh my gosh it's 8 p.m it's uh escachalvia california i There's no way that's right. Whatever. It's the California poppy. So, aka flame flower, which here for thimble of gold, cup of gold, golden poppy. You're getting the picture, right? Like it's a pretty orangey gold flower. And can I can I interrupt you? Please do. Very quickly, just to just to let you know that one of my very good friends mother-in-law basically is named flaming star wow um i literally had to i had to stop her in a story she was telling and i was like let's back up who who is that turns out her very very long-term boyfriend's mom that is an is a native american and that's that's her name uh and i think that's everything that's such a cool name but the fact that she was just telling this very mundane story about like going to home depot or something and then she's like you know and then she's like oh and then flaming star and i was like oh that's actually so cool that's a cool name but very intimidating very intimidating please go on yeah yeah well it's this flower it's an annual in some places it's a deep-rooted perennial Um, It's actually, though, it's native to the Pacific coastline. So all the way from Baja, California, all the way up to Washington State. And you can find it inland as far as, like, parts of the Sonoran Desert. So it's, like, in California, but not just California. I think California is iconic for poppies, but you can kind of find them up and down the Pacific coast. I do, one of my favorite things about them is that they respond phototropically to light, so they open and close with the sun, which does mean on June gloom or, you know, the May grays here in LA, you can actually have a poppy that stays closed all day, and I've had that happen with poppies that I'm growing, and it's always like a womp womp, but I do love it, and we'll talk a little bit about why I love phototropically sensitive plants later. But they're, they're upright flowers, right? Branching stems. All the flowers have four smooth petals with a darker orange center. And they can get up to two feet tall, allegedly. But you mostly see them in that like foot to like 18 inches range. I don't think I've ever seen a two foot tall poppy. I mean, 
come that, through, girlfriend. But like that would be a lot. That's a big poppy. That's a real big poppy. The leaves are also really pretty. They're blue green. And they're divided really finely into three lobes. They have this almost lacy looking pattern. Like they're really pretty. I love them. I mean, they're not as fine as something from like the carrot or parsley family, but it's kind of that vibe. They're, I, I do think the leaves are pretty. I have some poppies in one of my garden beds and the flowers are done. So it's just the foliage for now. Cause they're really, they're perennials for me here. But the foliage is so pretty that I'm not mad about it. Like, I think it's cute. So the technical term, though, just so you know, in case you're interested, for those like deeply, um, the deeply divided lobes is ternate. So anyway, oh, of course. just of so you know. Of course, of course. So one of the things that they're kind of iconic for is the way that their seeds spread kind of explosively they literally can have seeds get ejected as far away as like six feet so you might be thinking like well poppy seeds they're small but how the fuck does that happen it's actually kind of cool so the way it works is when the seed pods dry they actually crack open at the top so like a gust of wind comes in and the seeds go everywhere it's almost like a dandelion but it is more kind of like a one and done type thing because once it cracks open like they're they're going they're going you've seen poppy seeds they're super small if you buy a packet of poppy seeds to plant at your house they always have a packet within the packet because if you just put them in that regular size seed packet you would lose them all they would just fall out of like the tiny little crevices so the biggest difference though and i i really have to stress this California poppy has a very important difference from other poppies, and that's the sap. Other poppies have a milky sap. California poppies do not. In general, it's not 100%, but across the board, if you're in doubt about whether or not a plant is good for you, if it has milky sap, almost always no. So, you know, if you're in if you're in the wilderness and you don't have a guidebook, if it's got milky sap, probably leave it alone. But in general, um, that, I was just saying, in general, that's the rule. So all the way back, though, we're going to go back in time, Nick. The year of Ooh. our Lord, 1903. That's the year that the California poppy was declared the state flower of California. And did you know that on April 6th, just Very three close. short days after my birthday. We have California Poppy Day. It's like a state holiday. Well, which... that's a fine time for a holiday. I'll just say it's... that. Some of the best things happen right around that time. And of course, these are plants that have been used by indigenous peoples for a very, very long time. There are several indigenous tribes just from the LA County area. But the reason I'm, I'm saying this is I'm going to talk about Western herbal traditions. European people didn't invent using poppies for medicine. Growing them is pretty straightforward if you live in the right climate, like sprinkle the seeds in the fall and wait. Like, I'm not going to get super into it. Poppies can actually become invasive in some parts of the country and the world. But really, they're wildflowers. At the end of the day, poppies are wildflowers. So yeah, and put them in I, some fun. 
I personally love wildflowers in landscaping though and like for ornamental gardens because the plants are really meant to live off the amount of rain that falls out of the sky. So unless it's like a crazy season, you don't have to worry so much about watering with like native plants. And then also it's like, that's so much better than grass. Oh my God. Get rid of grass. Everybody plant meadows. Just do it. So Harvesting them is interesting, though, because some people will just use the aerial parts, but there are others that use it from root to tip. So it's a really choose your own adventure type thing. If you're someone that lives where it's really an annual, go ahead and just dig it up and use the root, you know, get those seeds and then like pull it all up. But if you live somewhere where it's a perennial, you can get a whole lot of usage out of just the aerial parts, too, if you want to let your plant come back again and again and again. So you're going to harvest them just as the flowers are going to seed. Fresh preparations are really the most potent, but they are able to be dried, which is great news for those of y'all who live in places where you can't easily grow poppies. But if you're going to be using them fresh, you really kind of got to like pick it and use it. They're really, really thin flower petals, like almost almost as thin as something like a morning glory. And a lot of plants like flowers that are photosensitive, you'll notice are thinner. And I think that makes sense because like they're moving constantly. So again, pick it and use it or, you know, go ahead and dry it. But let's talk about medicinal uses. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. Nick's not a doctor. This podcast is not intended to treat or diagnose anything. Please discuss any new herbal regimens with your doctor. So in Western herbal practices, it's primarily used for sleep disorders, pain, and anxiety. Like this is really a very sedative type plant, right? It does have anti-inflammatory, analgesic, and antispasmodic actions too. So it's also good for things like headaches, muscular tension and spasms, back pain. It, it does make people sleepy though. Me personally, it makes me very sleepy. So I think it's a good pre-bed tea for someone that maybe has a little bit of pain. But you might be asking yourself, Shannon, we all know that poppies are where opium comes from. Is that why this is a sedative? The answer is no. No. (laughs) There is older literature that's going to tell you that since it's in the same family as Popover, Somniferum, it does have trace amounts of opium. The problem is they have never once been able to substantiate that in labs. Like, they just haven't. There's not opium in California poppies. But it's really important to know that, too, because... There are some naturopathic doctors who are actually using California poppy tinctures to try to help people overcome opiate addiction. And there's been some really interesting research into this. So one study, they used a tincture that was made with 70% alcohol, just for reference, and they found binding at serotonin receptors that are evolved in sedation. So protopine is an alkaloid that's in California poppy, and it's really structurally similar to morphine, but the mechanism of action is different. And they've shown in animal studies that protopine also increases the binding of 3H-GABA to GABA receptors, which 
could induce a similar effect to benzodiazepines. There haven't been human trials yet, but it's a really promising avenue for alternative ways to treat the opioid epidemic, particularly in affordable ways, because not everyone can go to fucking Malibu for a rehab retreat. The idea that a tincture of California poppy could potentially be helpful for someone overcoming opiate addiction, I think is really exciting. And it's great too, because it can help calm your mind, but it doesn't depress your central nervous system, which is another problem you get with things like benzos. So you'll see it recommended, of course, for anxiety, insomnia, also hyperactivity and easing stress. I've seen some people also recommend a tincture of California poppy if you're trying to quit smoking or drinking. And I think that relation to like your serotonin receptors, your GABA receptors, those similar functions to morphine, the things that make it potentially good for opiate addiction really do make sense in particular for alcoholism. And it does help with your sleep by promoting healthier sleep cycles, which is important because it's not that the plant will just knock you the fuck out. It's actually going to help your brain still cycle through REM. Because if you know about the way that, you know, things feel after you drink too much booze and wake up, you feel exhausted because your sleep cycles weren't actually happening in a regular productive rhythm. But this is one where you have to be super mindful of dosage with poppy in particular. Like you shouldn't just go gangbusters by yourself, work with an herbalist, talk to your doctor, because poppy exhibits what we call a dose-dependent effect, right? So lower doses are predominantly uh, uh, anxiolytic. So that's where you're going to be using it for things like hyperactivity. If you have stress, depression, if you're trying to use it to take the edge off while you're smoking, you're like quitting smoking. You're going to be using a much smaller dosage. Once it gets to a higher dosage, that's where you're getting into that sedative action. And if you have excessive use or like too much poppy, it can lead to a hangover type effect. Because remember, if it's something that's sedating you, you have to be careful with it. You don't want it to like completely knock you out. Anyone who's ever had a NyQuil sleep knows what I'm talking about. When you sleep too hard and you wake up and you want to die. So <laughs> I do want to also just plug, you can use it topically for y'all that enjoy like putting pretty like salves and cremes and oils. It has antibacterial properties. So you can apply it to cuts and scrapes too. So if you're hiking on the West Coast and you don't have a bag with any band-aids in it and you fuck yourself up, rinse it out with some water, put a poppy on it. You know, why not? Nature's band-aid. Uh, <laughs> I love it. So before I close, um, <clears throat> I do want to say because California poppy has sedative effects, you absolutely should not be combining it with alcohol, tranquilizers, MAOI inhibitors, um, and really any other CNS depressants. Also, if you're pregnant or trying to become pregnant, steer clear generally. I don't know what the fuck y'all are supposed to enjoy when you're pregnant or trying to become pregnant. I'm sorry. On to the magic. So poppies are associated with the planet Mercury as well as the moon and the water element. And I kind of talked about this earlier, but one of my favorite things about photoresponsive plants, they all have this like 
really intense like water lunar energy to me right because you get that like opening and closing which feels very much like the shifting of tides the way that things are just in flow I love them poppies in general though they're used for magic related to love sleep money luck and invisibility I always love when they throw a curveball in there and I think a lot of the stuff that you'll find is specific to red poppies or you know the uh, the opium poppies, essentially. But personally, I think magically, these are all going to work no matter what kind of poppy you can get your gorgeous little hands on. You're not eating it. You're using the flower for magic. Go crazy. I do, I, we have to say, Demeter turned a young boy that was her lover into a poppy. So if you like Demeter, these are good offerings for her. Of course, you can also use them to sleep gods. So think like, Hypnos, Nyx, any deities you work with that rule dreams and sleep, um, they're going to, I think poppies will be a great offering for them. But one of the like spells that I kept seeing, <laughs> and I like the idea of, um, of doing this, is writing the name of like your intended on a piece of paper for a love spell rolling it up and then inserting it into a poppy seed pod and then you can put that seed pod under your pillow we did it we did it we got into talking about pillow magic but that same type of general function for your spell i think could be really useful for manifestation work too or any sort of like sleep or dream magic you know instead of putting the name of like your the lover you're trying to attract, put the name of what you're trying to manifest and put that in the poppy seed pod. All sorts of options there. The idea here is you're really asking the poppy energy to help like lead you towards what you desire or even just answer your question. So you can, of course, use the seeds. Seeds can go into a poppet. You could use the seeds for candle dressing. I do have to say though, when you're dressing a candle, please be careful things like seeds can pop when they get hot sometimes so just be wary we don't want you all burning your beautiful faces and then finally witches who work moment this is like just straight from shannon um poppy seed baked goods hello eat them eat what them when be, you need to what could be easier exactly if you have a big test or you have like a big job interview have yourself a poppy seed muffin for breakfast bake yourself some like poppy seed goods and use the poppy seeds to create you know runes or any sort of sigils on your baked goods and again they're very like broad magically right i think anything from luck to sleep and invisibility shit if you want to be invisible eat a bunch of poppy seed bagels and come tell me how that works for you i'd love to hear more so I just think it's important anytime you're working with a plant, just make sure that you're being, you know, you're, you're being really specific. You're asking the plant energy, you're being purposeful about it. And that's where the magic happens. It's the intention. So I think that a poppy seed muffin can bring just as much luck and manifestation magic to you as a poppy seed dressed candle or a dried poppy leaf dressed candle it's about what you can do, what your intention is, and also just like remember that all of your magic doesn't have to be fucking Instagram worthy. So my sources today, herbarium, gardeningknowhow.com, witchinthewoodsbotanicals.com, and Wikipedia. 
gmail.com. Love that. I also, um, just a few little footnotes from me. Uh, I am of Czech descent and poppy seeds are a very popular ingredient in Czech baking. And I've always loved a good poppy seed kolache. Oh, uh, fuck yeah. Um, and I do think that culturally that resonates with me as well. But also one of my favorite scenes and something that I don't know has always stuck with me is the poppy scene from Wizard of Oz. Oh, iconic. Because iconic. for some reason, and this is, you know, this, this is how I became the person that I did. For some reason, I was always like, that kind of seems nice, though. Like, falling asleep in the field of poppies. Oh, big same. I was like, I don't I don't see anything wrong with this. That sounds like a fucking party. Like, it's, it kind of seems nice. And the little, the little sleepy snow falling. I don't, you know, I would Beautiful. do that. I would try that Nothing out. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, okay, so moon magic right this week i was tasked with the very interesting task of writing a segment we've just been calling moon magic on the planner for some time now i think you labeled it as full moon magic here but i think it just said moon magic on the google doc um and some people you know and i think some people are going to be like wow what a big topic and yeah it was it was a big topic. And some of you are probably saying, like, what are your credentials? Like, I want to see why you're such an expert on the moon. And um, I was a telescope boy as a child, and I passed many happy hours, you know, bringing the various craters and shadows on the moon into focus. So do have that going for me. I've spent a lot of time looking at the moon. Okay, so I I think the pipeline from like telescope boy or girl to which is like a it's a straight line. It it really is a straight line, and actually we're going to be talking about that a little bit as well, um, because one of the the fun characters I'm going to be talking about is ultimately an astronomer um, as a historical figure. Like that's kind of what they're what they're known for. But um, I I have a cancer mars so i do have a very like moony personality and that's sort of something that cancer marses are known for like <clears throat> i kind of attribute that to being very sensitive to the changing phases of the moon um but it really just makes good sense to me that a lot of modern witchcraft is sort of based around the moon and has all of this like moon imagery and like really a lot of practicing witches if they're doing nothing else they're like charging crystals under the moon yeah I, like, I, I love the tilt I love that we're doing this tilt moment to show off my Shannon's moon paintings my moon face paintings as as a full moon baby I too love her she's good. um she she is just very good um but as sometimes happens when we're making these episodes, um, things went a little off the rails. And actually, pursuant to my previous point, the full moon in Aries was yesterday at the time of this recording. And as usual, I did have a hard time sleeping 
in the few days leading up to the actual full moon. So like late at night has been the time that I'm doing a lot of research for this and the ghost segments because I also have this really cool thing called ADHD. So sometimes it actually helps me when we're double recording to like switch back and forth between my topics um, for researching and really to help me digest the other information that I've taken in. Um, and especially late at night, hello, I'm a Dionysian. I drink a lot of wine, uh, but I do save it for the evening time. So this is very much like a wine-fueled segment. Um, and it is a, it's a late night once and fronds. So I am drinking a glass of wine uh, during the episode. Yeah, our, Patre our Patreon viewers are looking at me in the beautiful glow of my laptop because it's dark. <laughs> Uh, same, same, same. Um, but I think this is going to lend a bit of an unhinged quality to this segment, although maybe that's flavor. I think, I think so. Um, I think unhinged might be one of our brands. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess we're just going to have to see. And so actually, I do think I had a bit of a ghost encounter. Weirdly enough, while doing the research for the moon mag magic segment, so I'm actually going to tell that story really quickly again. Um, so basically, as soon as I started to read my first article about Agla Onasi, I literally was like getting chills. Um, the lights in my room flickered, and I did notice that Faye, my black cat, um, had gone full raccoon tail mode. Okay, but what is it with black cats having the most expressive tails? I don't know. It's it's giving Halloween decoration, but like literally, it it was like every single hair on her tail was sticking out. It looked like a raccoon tail. Um, and I wasn't exactly scared, you know. I'm like I, I live in an apartment in Austin, Texas. Like, you know, we're chilling. Um, but I was like, I'm definitely on to something here. So I kind of like went off in this other direction. And like, y'all, again, I'm a skeptical witch, which I do love that label. Like, I'm very sort of drawn to that label. Um, but I was, I was definitely like not alone in that moment of discovering this historical character, Agla Onasi, who unlike, um, you know, boss energy, love her so much. But this whole thing has kind of been swirling around in my head, especially since I found out about the Witches of Thessaly in the necromancy segment. So when I talked about one of the famous witches of Thessaly, Arikto, the, the necromancer who brought the um, soldier back to life to reveal the prophecy that ultimately Julius Caesar was going to win over Pompey, which, you know, yeah. That's, that's how it happens. So, anywho. So, coincidentally, I'm also planning a trip to Greece next year, and Thessaloniki has come up a few times as, like, a location for a possible side trip from Athens. The train is, like, four hours long and only costs, like, $20. So, also kind of a bargain option. Um, and it's a cool place, right? It's like a crossroads between East and West. It was kind of like on the border between the Eastern and Western Roman empires when they split up, but also kind of like on, as in like a North-South alignment um, between Athens and Macedonia. So 
they're kind of like the Alabama of Reeves in a way, because they're a backwater. They're considered a cultural backwater. And we'll get into that later on, but also a bit of a crossroads, you know. So lots of different influences coming in and out. Um, and all of that to say, and not to be all youth pastory, but I really felt called to talk about Aglonacy and the Witches of Thessaly this week, kind of in aid of talking about moon magic. Um, I also think like this particular topic can give us a little bit of insight into our modern obsession with the moon as kind of like a collective witchy community. So I think everyone listening probably knows me well enough to know that my intentions here involve trying to tie in sort of historical beliefs and practices with our modern view of moon magic and really uh, kind of cross the bridge together, right? Because I think a lot of what this podcast is, is just like me learning about all of these mythology topics and really like tracing back a lot of modern witchy practices um, back through history. And I'm having a blasty blast doing it, but sometimes we land on a topic where I'm like, I just want to kind of talk about that. So that's kind of where we're at. And I think another reason why ancient Greece is a good place to zero in on for historical moon magic is because it is the first time in history, as far as we know, in sort of Western history, right? And including sort of Mesopotamia and Egypt as kind of like near Eastern, basically, uh, history, right? That the moon is a lady and... Whoa, whoa, whoa. She's a lady. She's a lady. She's taken on a feminine aspect. And in Mesopotamia, right? Babylonian and Akkadian peoples had moon gods the moon was a man so sometimes referred to as sin sometimes as nana um but a man so maybe the chief of the gods but still a man and my personal belief is that the moon has very feminine energy so something that modern witchcraft has gotten right is sort of ascribing feminine energy and like water energy to the moon that is what that is very much the vibe that I feel from the moon as well. She might be a femme top, but underline femme. Okay. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> again, we've talked about it before, but it it is like how long is a lunar cycle? How long is the average menstrual cycle? Right. Um, so it tracks, the, it tracks, it, tra it tracks, it absolutely tracks. The Egyptians also apparently made the same mistake. Their moon god Khonsu was a man. Which also Khonsu sounds like he, it should be a Japanese deity. I, I, I actually kind of thought the same thing and I'm glad you brought that up because I did not want to be too weeby, but I was like, yeah, Khonsu... If it was, I, I think if you saw the spelling of it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's sort of like Middle Eastern adjacent. Um, yeah. But hearing the, it, I was like. Because the KH combination really is sort of more that part of the world. But um, the sound of it, it does sound like a, like a, like a Japanese name. Um, 
but that uh, brings up a very good point. We want to talk about the moon and witches. Okay. If we're talking about deities at the center of their pantheon, like Kansu, like Sin, like Nana, right? That's definitely, to me, more just going to church. And Nick Nick is not a youth pastor. I'm not a youth pastor. And while it might be a pagan church, I do kind of draw a distinction between witchcraft and going to church, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. It's like there's the temple that you go to to be part of your cult, and then there's your magic practice. And then there's your magic practice, um, which brings us to ancient Greece. So they have a new gender for the moon. Uh, Selene is a material girl, um, but Greece is still very much a patriarchy. Zeus is the king of the gods, so Gaia might ultimately be like the mother of the gods, Mother Earth vibes, like we love that, but Zeus is the king of the gods, okay? And Selene is really not much of a major player, like this kind of falls into that realm of like they had a story to explain what the moon was and deified that as part of their folklore, um, but people were not really going to like temples to Selene. Um, and the people who actually were into doing like moonlight rituals were kind of more followers of like Artemis and Hecate and uh, even Diana. Um, and it's, but Selene herself, not really much of a big player. Um, but we also do have to just admit kind of collectively, that the worship in, in in actual ancient Greece of the other notable lunar ladies, Artemis and Hecate, especially by women, was a bit fringe as well. It, these were not the biggest cults. They were not the most popular cults. Um, people did it, but it was not the beating heart of Greek pagan culture. Um, so kind of like going back to like going to church versus witchcraft. Um, and we want to talk about witches and the moon. And I think we've thoroughly set the scene of like ancient Greece for like what the witches of Thessaly are going to end up being. So, and I think it must be strange, you know, to a lot of witches out there that are so kind of like learning all of the history of all this stuff, like myself. Um, to hear that a world dominated by what to us is like a pagan religion would still have people identified as witches. Because, I mean, in in like the Abrahamic context, like the whole thing that they're doing is like witchcraft and paganism. But they're like, no, like the, the whole Zeus cult is like the main religion and all this other stuff is like culty and witchy, right? Um, But people, like a pagan people identifying someone as a witch is exactly the kind of thing I do love to find when I'm doing my research. And, you know, just so happened that it was this very big topic of moon magic. So I'm looking for witches in history that, did shit with the moon. And I landed in Thessaly. So in the five or so centuries BC, Thessaly is actually well known for having witches. So obviously we did talk about Erichtho, the necromancer. Um, 
And these uh, Necromancy 2 is the episode for that, you know, link in bio or whatever. But these Thessalonian witches worship goddesses that are identified by the Athenians as being like of the Hecate and Artemis varieties. And they already kind of view like goddess worship as again, a bit fringe. Like they don't, they don't really go for like female empowerment. Um, even though I, I mean like less so than Sparta, right? Like the Spartans were very, very male dominated. But I think Athens and Sparta kind of being mirrors for each other makes a lot of sense because the Spartans were a lot more cultured than people give them credit for. And the Athenians were a lot more patriarchal than people really give them credit for because they seem so at odds with each other. But they're all yeah. they're kind of, they're kind of they're, I was going to say they're kind of more like mirrors for each other. Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's almost like we uh, really enjoy boiling things down to black and white. And that's right. almost never the case. <laughs> it's almost never the case. Um, but these, this, the Salian witches worship goddesses that are like Hecate and Artemis. And Thessaly is also notable for being the home of Chiron, the centaur mentor of several Olympian gods. So... And also someone very associated with healing in modern witchcraft. So like shout out to Chiron for being from Thessaly as well. But the whole like Artemis Hecate vibes meant that there was a lot of moon stuff with these witches of Thessaly. And before I get there, there's just a bit more about the vibe of the whole situation that I really wanted to just like set the scene in. Um, so basically, there's a bunch of moon-worshipping healer women in Thessaly, right? And the Athenians and the Romans kind of look down their noses at Thessaly for being old-fashioned. They're a backwater. They rely on these healing women or witches, right? Because that's what they saw as a witch, is like this local healer woman. Instead of embracing the new ways and having the Temple to Zeus and all of that. And it's funny, though, because every time the shit is really hitting the fan in ancient Athens and later on Rome, when they take over the reins as, like, the main superpower, they're like, oh, we got to go to Thessaly and find a witch to solve our problems. It's like, well, 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 how the tables have turned. Right. And so famously, we do have Erichtho using moon juice as one of the ingredients in her potion to bring back the Roman soldier in Pharsalia by Lucan. Moon juice, otherwise known as what you hear rattling in the background that Nick is drinking. Right. Little, a little moon juice, you know? <laughs> um, but we also have like bona fide historical figure and apparent queen of the witches of Thessaly, Aglaonisi. Let's get into it. She's a witchy icon. Um, who? was a very accomplished astronomer. And that is what she is remembered for as a historical figure, one of the first recorded female astronomers. You go, girl. We do love to see a lady in STEM, do we not? Every day. Every day. But she was literally a princess. Um, her dad was what they called the hegemon of Thessalia which means that she was literally kind of like the princess and she could have truly lived a life of leisure, 
but she became an astronomer and a high priestess in a moony witch cult instead. So just take a moment to savor that as like a, a decision that a real woman in history made. I love her and am deeply intimidated. I am too. I love her journey so much though. Um, she's known for one very cool witchy accomplishment, which is calling down the moon from the sky, which is- I mean, calling down the moon is like, hi, one of the most iconic modern witchy books. Like right. drawing down the moon, hi. <laughs> yeah, drawing down the moon. Um, there's also like an older book where drawing down the moon is part of the title. Um, but also, so this guy called Bicknell in the early 1900s did the math and figured out that there was a very complete series of lunar eclipses around the first or second centuries BC, which is around the time that Aglaonasi would have been alive. Um, of course, she is recorded by Plutarch later on, but, and that's sort of like in the beginning of the first century. So sort of after this person would have died, but um, recorded as a historical figure, nonetheless. Um, but there, there, uh, some guy in the early 1900s, Bicknell, basically did the math and figured out that there was some very, very, very dark lunar eclipses around that time because of what they called the Roman minimum, which was just part of the moon's natural cycle, like the very slow natural cycle of the moon where it gets closer and far away um, to where it was just a quite a bit, it was like the smallest it's going to be for a very long time, basically. And so when the eclipse happened, it was very, very, very dark, almost as if there was no moon. Because actually today, when we have a lunar eclipse, it's like red. You know, it's not like you can still see it is kind of the thing. But hey, here's what I will say. Even if it was just that, I am a skeptical witch after all. I think the act and intention of doing the math and reading the star charts to plan out this ritual, not only showing off her power as a witch, but also the power of witches and women in general, is powerful powerful witchcraft in and of itself. And it has been passed down for 2000 years. Like this story of this witch queen calling the moon down from the sky. Everyone was so fucking impressed and everyone was so jazzed about the witches of Thessaly, which I think is kind of why everyone kind of goes to them. Like they can perform miracles, honey. They can take yeah. the moon out of the sky. And it's also like, okay, but as modern witches, how many times are we like, this is best on a full moon? This is best on a new moon? It's like, it's witchcraft. Like, even if she didn't literally call the moon down, like, planning out a ritual around, around a lunar eclipse is just being a fucking badass witch. Get out of here, patriarchy. Get out of here, patriarchy. Um, but... And the fact that all of this work was done basically in honor of Artemis and Hecate is also very, like, chef's wow. kiss, you know? Like, uh, and here's the thing, though. The witches of Thessaly, quote-unquote, really come to embody the stereotype of witches in general. That's what Romans think witches are, right? Like, that's what 
later in medieval Europe, the accusations that are hurled around about people being witches are very much based on these quote unquote witches of Thessaly. They become sort of a dramatic device even, which is why they show up in so many of these like epics, which are like about actual historical events. But when you have to have a witch, she's gonna be from Thessaly and she's gonna be like a weird lady that worships the moon yeah i mean she's she's what we would be considered we're witches of thessaly we're just like weird ladies who love the moon we're just weird ladies who love the moon and i think moon worship embodies witchcraft as being the antithesis to like the organized religions regardless of what those organized religions actually are if they're pagan if they're abrahamic like Christianity, we, interestingly enough, there's um, books in the Bible, the first and second Thessalonians. Now, why do you think that is? Mm, for funsies? It's, it's literally just for funsies. No, it's because Paul the Apostle, the guy who was like charged with spreading the gospel, was by like himself. The, by himself, was like the first people I want to go save are the people in Thessaly because those people are witches. Because even from the very beginning, Christians could sniff out a good time and (laughs) fucking cover it in a wet blanket. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But I do think going down this little side street of research really brought into focus sort of where I'm at in my own craft and where I really feel centered in sort of like a wilderness-based Artemisian, but also Hecatean, because we love the spooky vibes. And I'm in this place where one of the main things I feel like I have in common with the mainstream witchy community is a shared obsession with the moon. And actually, because it has historically been fringe to work directly with the moon in your magic and rituals, outside of using it as a timekeeper, for more official religious business, right? Like, I'm sorry, but the Catholics and the Jews still use a lunar calendar, but that's not witchcraft. Um, But I actually think we're in a bit of a golden age of honest-to-goodness moon worship. And as a bit of a moon guy myself, I'm very okay with that. Yeah, I'm here for it. Like, I, I, I think that's a lot of people's introduction into witchiness is like getting into the moon um like like you said like the telescope girl to witch pipeline is just a straight line because i mean you know it's like agla onasi she was an astronomer like that's what she's remembered for but she was also a fucking witch Mm. and she was a witch because she loved the moon so i think i'm in love with her I think I'm in love with her too. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, it's it's interesting kind of when we look at like our witchy identities that we have kind of like looked to the past and sort of done a bit of a revival, but like we didn't revive the like mainstream paganism. Like we revived witchcraft of all things, like being the village healer lady and being weird and loving the moon and like just kind of wanting to be out in nature and 
it's almost like that's what the earth needs right and you and if you really get it think about it it's like uh, i i just think it's i just think it's great i i do it's wonderful i i hate this um idea where people are like mad that witchcraft is more popular and mainstream and i'm like okay look we can talk about problems with like selling white state white sage and like commercialism but dude get the fuck out of here let people enjoy things like let people find their own spiritual path how many times have you ever heard a christian that's like "Mm, christianity is just getting too popular it's too mainstream like no man we want everybody at the fucking party we have a lot more fun over here we do have a lot more fun over here um, but I think my final insight that's come from this, and this has been, you know, like a very spiritual journey for me, learning about moon magic, um, is that it's not actually like having this personal connection and spiritual reverence for the moon is exactly the opposite of going to church, you know? Like, not every, it's kind of like the Athens versus, versus Sparta thing. It's not exactly black and white, but like, as a witch, the night sky and the moon are my church right and as something of a nocturnal person it's also important as the backdrop to my waking life because I also kind of straddle that line where I'm like space witch vibes like I just love stars and stuff um (laughs) well we are on a floating rock in space so I feel like it's normal to be interested in other planets so kind of to round out this segment so it's not a mile long some moon highlights from my recent life. Feel free to pitch in, Shannon, if you have any good moon moments that you've had recently. So the other night I was out on my patio with a very nice bottle of rosé Prosecco um, under the full moon. Of course, it was in a clear bottle because that is the vibe. Um, And I am a Dionysian, so it should surprise no one that I'm out here doing moon wine instead of moon water. Uh, And yes, I did leave half a glass out as an offering at the end of the night. And yes, I did pour it into the dirt the next morning. Thank you very much. Um, Good girl. But but here's the thing about that story. And shout out (laughs) to all of my depressed witches out there. The really cool thing was that in that moment when I was having my little moon Prosecco, um, and I was, you know, sort of wearing white. So I'm like literally glowing in the light of the full moon which, love that, would recommend wearing a white outfit when you're hanging out in the moonlight. Um, 10 out of 10. Or just being a fucking pale naked bitch. Or just being a pale naked bitch. Yeah. Um, But, um, and you know, um, I'm not as pale as I usually am right now. But Yeah, that's the problem. You're a golden god right now, so you're not able to glow under the moon in your flesh. Sorry. (laughs) Right. But no, I did have a little bit of serotonin as a treat in that moment. Just a little as a treat. You know, I did feel very good and even downright euphoric for the rest of the night. So uh, 10 out of 10. Um, Also very magical. I, you know, not to say that the moon cures depression, but I think all of the depressed people out there know what it is like when your brain drops a little grain of sand of serotonin onto itself and you're like oh I feel good for a second yeah Um, it's just like it's like you're in a vice grip and it it took like one like smidge of a turn loose right um 
But so also recently under the Aquarius full moon, I was literally on the beach in Mexico for that, watching the moon rise over the jungle. I took a very shitty picture of it on my phone. Uh, shout out to the moon for being ungovernable. Like she will not photograph well. Her and black cats. Uh, and I love that. Um, and they're both things witches are into. We can think about that later. But I I do believe that watching the tide come in that night was one of the more powerful experiences of my life when I really just like felt connected to everything. And, um, you know, 10 out of 10, very magic. Okay. And I was actually doing a lot of work around like letting stuff go around that trip, um, which was actually bringing me to this whole Chiron healer woman, which is a Thessaly thing again. So the moon is literally a free and universal source of spiritual energy, which you can absolutely be channeling in aid of your emotional well-being. And I'm happy that people are getting into that. So, and this is really where the whole like belief thing comes into play because I could literally go on all day about how I feel, but that proves nothing. And I, what I will say is that I never felt even a morsel of anything supernatural or spiritual when I went to Christian church. But I do feel deeply affected by the phases of the moon. I feel a spiritual connection to the moon. I'm obviously drawn to very lunar deities. And I just feel like that's part of like my identity in the witch phase. And I'm, you know, like I said, I'm excited to see that it's popular. And, you know, it's like people make TikToks about making moon water. And I, I think that's okay. I think that's good even. Like spread the gospel. Like the witches of Thessaly are kind of back with a vengeance right now. Like our modern sort of witchy movement is really drawing upon that for inspiration. Like they used to be the bad guys in the story and like the creepy ones, but it's like, like we all want to be her. Yeah. We're, it's like we're all in our villain era, but the the secret is our villain era is actually us just like being healthy and loving the moon and having boundaries and saying fuck you capitalism. Right. Um, I mean, I think for me it's like getting really into tracking the cycles of the moon has been really grounding for me. And I think that that's how it kind of like it's seeped into, you know, of course it's like part of my magical practice. I'm always checking the moon. Every night when we walk our dog, we like look at the moon. I love nothing better than a sunrise moon. But I think for me, it also just, it's like, and this I think is magical because it's like being well emotionally is magical. I have horrible like anxiety, existential dread, like, and I also have periods of like dissociation because of my brain being a fucker. And I really, for me, have found that like, connecting with the lunar cycles helps me so much like stay present in ways that are like it's both good for my magical practice but also just like good for me as a person you know something about that and like the cyclical nature of it and being able to depend on that same cycle repeating is almost like an anchor for me in my brain if that makes sense well I I think it does also kind of go back to like the moon's original role was a timekeeper. 
Yeah. Like that is what people first use the moon for. And it's like, I'm sure some people out there, like you didn't even get into Celtic shit at all or like Norse shit at all. And what I will say is that we have some evidence that the Celts used the moon for timekeeping based on the locations of their monuments. Yeah, that's true. But knowing that they used it as a timekeeper is not groundbreaking information because they didn't write anything down. So. And it's also like, it can be both. Like, I feel like the moon is very much both for me. I also, it's like helped too, because I have tried to get more in sync with my body. And that's, again, both part of my magical practice because I am in this meat suit doing my work but also my physical health. And I think for anyone who menstruates, it's called infradian rhythm as opposed to circadian rhythm. So circadian is like that very solar masculine rhythm. Infradian is the longer cycles. You know, it's like thinking lunar cycles, thinking about like people who menstruates hormonal cycles and breaking down my life and thinking about it in these cycles has just been so healing because number one I know I'm feeling bloated this week and miserable it's because I know what my hormones are doing and I don't just think that I'm a fat idiot who hates myself but also it's like being in touch with that helps me figure out when to do my magic right it's like all of this is so interconnected it's like I know when my body is going to be feeling great and that's when I'm going to feel really into doing magic and I know when my body's not going to be feeling great and that's like maybe a time for some like soft gentle work you know it's I don't know I'm obsessed with the moon but it's like it plays such an important part in like every aspect of my life it is kind of hard to just talk about her (laughs) well it is kind of hard to just talk about but what I will also say about like witchy identities in general is sort of like the guys in the temple in Athens would like look down their noses at these sort of local healer women as again kind of like an old-fashioned way of being but like literally you couldn't get that information from the guy in the temple yeah there's a reason when shit hit the fan they came to the witches of thessaly there's a reason when shit hit the fan they came to the witches of thessaly and it's it's because of that sort of like that knowledge that's passed down which is why i love that you personally have gone on this journey of like learning about herbalism and like herbal remedies and all of this stuff that really could be lost if not for people like taking an interest to like learn it and practice it because the thing is is like science eventually catches up and it's like oh these herbs have these medicinal properties like it's not it's not all woo woo shit and some yeah. of it ultimately is going to end up being shit. And I think the the moon is one of those cases where it's like, I would not be surprised if they find a causal link between certain human behaviors and the cycles of the moon. That- well, I mean, look, the moon moves water. How much are, how much of us is water? Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's ludicrous to think that there's not something to that. And Also, it's kind of like when you find out that people don't imagine, like, a scene in their head when they're reading. I don't, I don't get it. Like, people who can't imagine pictures in their mind's eye. Right, 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 right. But it's like people who can't feel 
the moon. I don't understand. Like, I don't, I personally, I don't, I can't, I can't conceptualize it. I can't wrap my head around it. Um, I feel the moon very strongly. And I like, and it's like, literally, I will have times where I'm not keeping track. And I'm like, oh, I can't sleep. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, it is that time, huh? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's me and Willow. Willow also gets really restless right around the full moon. So it's fine. She and I are awake together. But okay, so we have a little, a, a little dessert. A little dessert. So I, we're talking about Hina and I want to start like up top, y'all. Hawaii is a colonized island. We are not here for co-opting their culture, but we do love learning about and like celebrating the deities from all sorts of cultures because to me my favorite thing about the deity profiles and like the deity profiles actually weren't part of our very early episodes this wasn't something that we started off doing but I have found it fascinating because it's like we get to see the way that these ideas and these magical properties and all of these things kind of rhyme throughout time and cultures So let's talk about the goddess Hina. So like so many moon goddesses, she's also the goddess of the ocean and of motherhood. She represents female creativity and productive powers in the physical world, you know, like being able to create humans. And a lot of Hawaiian genealogies trace back to the first god, right? Ku and our lady here, Hina. And there are actually a lot of forms of Hina. And one of the forms, which is the one we're talking about today, is Hina feeding on the moon, or Hina Ayakamalama. I think that's right. Hina Ayakamalama. I'm I'm really genuinely trying. So, um, but the Hina feeding on the moon is probably the most worshipped. So, she's also, fun fact, said to be the mother of Maui, the trickster. She's also the goddess of corals and the mother of the pig god, Kamapua. So we're here for it. Pig gods, Maui's, lots of fun. So one that you see over and over though, like one of these stories, because we have to remember like Hawaiian mythology, similar to a lot of mythologies, is kind of tricky to have one through story because it's such a heavy oral tradition. And also how many islands are there? Like, in Hawaii and Samoa and Fiji and all of these places that end up sharing a lot of these stories. Well, and it's kind of like a story is a living thing, if you think about it that way, in that it it mutates over time. Yeah. And it fills yeah. the it fills the space that it needs to fill. And, and it works. You know, it's very much like Darwinism in action, where it's like if you had a bunch of different islands and you'd had the same version of a bird the the one on the island on one end might be like very very different from the one on the island on the other end but you can see how it changes where yeah. it branches off if you dig enough which i think is what i think is what we're doing in this podcast yeah digging. So we're digging through mythology we're digging And one of the stories that we have found on our dig is this story about Hina making bark cloth. So bark cloth is really, really beautiful. 
I have seen some beautiful examples of bark cloth. Give it a Google. We had a bunch um, at LACMA and they did this great exhibition on Fiji. And there were so many examples of bark cloth. But Hina is said to have made the best bark cloth in all of the islands, right? So people, every like second of every day, she's toiling away making this bark cloth. People can't get enough of it. And one day she's like, yeah, fuck this. She was tired of it. She's working herself to the bone. And so she packed her shit and she traveled up a rainbow to the sun. I love the rainbow travel in this story. Um, But she gets there and she's like, fuck, this is way too hot. Like, I am not here for sun life. So the next night, which happened to be a full moon, she takes another rainbow and takes her ass over to the moon. So in some versions, uh, her husband is outraged that she's fleeing to the heavens. And when she tries to leave from the sun to the moon, he grabs her leg and eventually like fully pulls it off like a lizard. Um, Very rude. And in those versions, she still gets to the moon. And some natives will call her uh, Lono Moku or the crippled Lono. But there are also, again, there's stories of Hina from like New Zealand, Samoa, really almost every Polynesian island has some variation on the tale. So this is really just like the story of how Hina ends up on the moon. There's also, again, it's like there's the stories about how she ends up bringing coral. There's some stories related to her like being a bearer of food. But this one about her traveling on rainbows to the sun and then leaving the sun to go to the moon, I just thought was really sweet. So I am, again, this is really introductory, keeping it kind of shallow here just because in Hawaiian deities, like this goddess has so many like different versions that it's like it's kind of a lot to get into there are a lot of forms of of the various deities so anyway i thought it was fabulous hawaii is beautiful um i i think that this is a great story because i love the idea of a moon goddess who just like fucked right off because household labor is a bummer and like who has not been in the middle of washing a billion dishes and thought about fucking yeeting yourself off the face of the planet i uh, every time every time i don't know she i don't know it. she did it i don't know what she it is it. about i don't know what it is about my brain but like i just cannot do the dishes um, dishes are my i'm like i would rather scrub a toilet than wash dishes and i don't same, know what that says same, about same, me same. i don't know what it, it is broken what's brains. wrong with us so my sources today were um papa hanako oh, oh god this is this is all in one because it's a website uh papa hanakuola sorry ah dot org uh cycleharmony.com and sacredtext.com it's hard to read the hawaiian when it's all smashed together in a url i'm sorry i don't know where the word breaks are well anyway the bitter end do we want to do quick asks or do we just want to roll right into it we can do quick asks guys like uh rate review subscribe Download the episode, five stars. Join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash pod. You can see me very casually tilting my laptop to show off the moon paintings I did last year. Um, you can see my cool new piercing pillow that's covered in mushrooms that has a hole in it so I don't smash my Oh, date. that's such a good idea. Isn't it great? 
And so I just got my helix done, but I can sleep on both sides because I have a lot of ear piercings and the hole in it. It looks like a hernia pillow, but it's smaller. I was going to say it looks like a hemorrhoid ring. No offense. No, it's fine. Um, but there, it's really small because it's made to go on top of your pillow. Right, so it, right, like, right. Makes just, a just, for your, just for your ear. Just for your <laughs> ear. Um, so yeah, those are the types of very important things you can see if you joined us on patreon.com slash wands and fronds pod. So Nick, take it away. All right. So you guys, this week, we're back to using the little kitty deck. Look at her. Uh, it's Aquarius. Hey, the girl. Water the water bearer. That's perfect. I thought it was pretty perfect, Tom. Um, lucky numbers this week, three, four, nine. Damn. Okay. I, I never do those, but they are on there, so why not? <laughs> and today has none of them. Um, but, okay, so this week, and I just want to show off this card, too. Um, you guys got Judgment. Oh, this shit, is. that's Look a at... good Judgment card in your Dragon deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tilt it so it's, like, a little less. Um, but, yeah. Um, anywho, so Judgment, right? Like, you're being called upon to do the most. and what do I mean by that? It's like, you know, in in this current situation, that you could dominate, and you could really kind of be being called upon to be the best version of yourself in this situation. Because maybe you're not doing that currently. Um, and so you really need to like give it 110%. Like, that's what, that's what this tarot poll is telling me for you um so do it do that go aquariuses but also i would say like this card does have um sort of a lot of side meanings and it's like i would say i'm trying to take like a positive slant on it do it do it nick you you deliver too much bad news i deliver too much bad news if you're feeling the good news trust it i am feeling the good news and I'm like, no, I think I think you guys can do it. I think you're not doing it. But this is sort of your your call to like actually put in the effort. Because if you do, you'll slay. Yeah. Come back down to Earth space, babes. Get to work. That's true. Uh, Aquarius is our kind of space babe, babes. Um, also, I would say trust your intuition. Like, you, you know... Like, you know what the right answer is, too. Kind of going back to, like, you're being called to, like, actually put in the effort. Yeah, like you and ne- you never you never respond to text messages. So it's not like you have you don't have the time. Right, right, right. Um, and all of that to say, uh, what do we say to all of the moony bitches out there? Mm, to you moony bitches. Blessed be you moony bitches. Blessed be you moony bitches. Bye. Goodbye now. Mercury is Mercury is direct, but my goodness. Oh my god, that that jolt of energy from the Aries full moon. I'm like, I know. Can I freebase that? Um, no. Oh, okay. I mean, just no, because I'm rude. <laughs>